this particular scripture is something I will uh, always remember as being one of the first that I memorized, and that's Proverbs 3, 5. Some of you know it well. You could probably recite. From the NIV, it reads this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's that little word, all, that gives me problems, right? It gives you problems from time to time, I would assume, as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lead not on your own understanding in all your ways. There it is again. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Really? Trust in the Lord with all your heart? Really? Even, even when? Even if? Even if the storms seem insurmountable? Even if it seems that everything is crashing down around you? Trust in the Lord with all your hearts, and he will make your paths straight. I've learned that through experience, and some of you have learned that through experience, and you can testify that's God's faithfulness, amen? And yet there's still this tension between our flesh and spirit. As Paul says, the, the spirit is willing, and I still have this struggle with my flesh. I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. He goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This particular text, the disciples were challenged with their faith, right? They, like us, have seen what God has done. They've seen things that we haven't seen. They've seen physical miracles. They've seen Jesus provide sight to the blind. They've seen Him even heal on the Sabbath. That caused a little bit of controversy as we've talked about. They've seen him do things that nobody else was willing to do. He would touch lepers. He would touch the unclean and make them whole. But what about his limits? There's a plethora of things I guess I could point out here in Mark chapter 4 verses 35 and following. For instance, this phrase, the other side. Let us go to the other side. Get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. What's, what's that all about? We read that in our English translations and we just assume that it's a geographical thing, right? But not so fast. Jesus had been ministering to the Jews, right? He'd been dealing with the Jews, and the other side of the sea, if you will, were the Gentiles. If you know your New Testament, especially the Pauline epistles, two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul is clear that the gospel is not just for a select group of individuals. It's for all people, right? Jesus came to save the world. It's interesting to me here in this particular text where right off the bat, probably the earliest gospel that we have, the gospel of Mark, Jesus is interested in going to the other side. You'll remember that last week, those of you who were here, we, we talked about this idea of, of Jesus coming and preaching. That's what he came for is what he would say. He, he came to preach the good news to those who needed good news. And even the Gentiles church, even the pagans, even the heathens, even those outside these walls need the good news. You needed good news before you met Jesus, right? And if you've met Jesus, if you received that good news, that is the, that's the gospel. That's, that's the whole point of why Jesus would come. God in the flesh. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so when Jesus says, let us go to the other side, I wonder what the Jews, the Jewish apostles, the Jewish disciples were thinking. Why don't we just stay here? 
why don't we just deal with the crowds? But that's not what Jesus came for, right? If you think about it, 33 years is not that long, is it? I was told when I was younger that as you got older, the calendar would go faster and faster and faster. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Time gets quicker and quicker. Some of you know, know that better than I do, right? I didn't believe that when I was a kid. Now I believe it, right? It seems like just a year ago, just a short time ago, we were celebrating 2018. Now we're in 2019. And before we know it, another birthday will pass, another Christmas will pass. So I wonder, 33 years doesn't sound like a whole Jesus knew his time was short, right? And so he's going to put as much as he can into each and every day of ministry, especially this three and a half years of public ministry with his closest followers. Let's just chew on that for a second, right? Every day is important. As I was thinking about that these last couple of weeks, I thought, when I'm selfish, or the word was brought up in our Bible study this morning, when I'm complacent, when I'm apathetic, right? That's, that's the flesh part of me. And the spirit side of me, Carol, says, time is short. Time is short. The, the complacent, the flesh part of me says, I'm going to pray about those people, but I hope they get it, right? The spirit of me says, go and tell them. Shout it from a mountaintop, right? Jesus wants to do something. Jesus wants to restore their lives. Jesus wants to do miracles for them just like he did for us, right? The greatest miracle ever is not Jesus healing a, a leper. The greatest miracle that Jesus healed the blind and, and made the, the lame walk. That's not the greatest. The greatest miracle is your salvation. My salvation. And it's not just for me. It's not just for you. See, we have in our mind this us versus them mentality, don't we? Don't we? And it's almost like this pharisaical attitude that says, we'll just be more religious than everybody else. And you know what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He called them, you whitewashed tombs, right? In other words, it wasn't about religion for Jesus, was it? It was about a relationship with Jesus. I wonder what the Jews thought when Jesus says, let us go to the Gentiles, even the Gentiles, even the people over, over there. What about this idea of storms? As Caitlin mentioned in her prayer, we all have storms, don't we? The old saying is you're either coming out of a storm, you're going to go into a storm, you probably ought to be preparing for it, or you're in the middle of a storm. I look around this room and I know, I know some of your stories and I know some of you have been in a storm for a long, long time. right? I've celebrated with some of you that God has led you out of a storm. We talked about valleys and mountaintops and all those kind of things this morning in our Bible study. That's one of the things we talked about. But sometimes those valleys seem like they are just caving in around us, right? It seems like they will never end. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes storms happen just because the people that we have to deal with. We're all broken. We know that we deal with broken people. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor you can't quite get along with than a family member. Maybe it's a person in your church that you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to be hospitable with, and it's not reciprocal. You understand what I'm saying? You're not getting the results that you think you should get, right? I'm going to love you, and I hope that you will love me. And so the enemy would tell us that we need to kick that person aside and be done with it, right? That's one of those storms sometimes that we deal with. What is it, your storm? I mean, think about the last storm. 
Some of you have lost a loved one here recently. I would say that was a storm. What's the storm for you? Is it something you just came out of? Praise God. Is it something you're in the middle of? I think of the psalmist that cries out to God and says, How long, O Lord? How long will this go on? Have you ever been, I mean, let's be honest with each other, right? Have you ever been to a place in your life where you feel like you prayed and 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 you you can't pray anymore? And the preacher says, Just stay faithful, just pray, just pray, just pray. And it seems like God is silent. You ever been there before? We've all been there before, right? There was 400 years, church, 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where it seemed like that God was nowhere to be found. And some of you have been in your storm for a long time, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've been faithful, and you've prayed, and you're tired of praying because it seems like that God is silent. Somehow in our flesh, we put these limits on God, don't we? Don't we? I mean, we wouldn't say that out loud, right? Because we're here on a Sunday at church. Or among safe people, but well, let's be honest. I mean, so, maybe it's subconsciously, but at least we act like we put limits on God. Let me give you an example. Jesus could do miracles because Jesus was God in the flesh, and He healed the leper, and He healed the lame, and He healed the blind, and He did all those things. But what happens when nature is involved, right? There, there comes a point in time where there's got to be limits on God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I think that's what makes this miracle such an important thing that we have recorded for us in the Gospels, right? I mean, the apostles have seen everything that Jesus has done. Why don't they get it? How dense could they be, right? And then you look in the mirror and you think, why don't I get it? How dense could I be? Glenn mentioned this morning in our Bible study, what about the man man who says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's, That's my life. That's where I'm at, right? When every storm arises, Lord, I believe. Lord, I get up and preach it every every Sunday. I get up and teach it every Wednesday. I, I share with people about my belief, and yet I still have this flesh. I still have this struggle, this tug of war, that I still realize there's a gap between Lord, I believe, and help my unbelief. That's just real, right? That's just honest. And if we can be honest with each other, I think we ought to be honest with each other right here in this place. Well, Jesus says, let us go to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. I get leaving leaving the people that are after the sign. The next sign, what is he going to do next? He's going to pull a rabbit out of his hat. No, what's he I want to see him, I want to see him do everything the newspapers have said about what he's done. But it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. In the boat. Interesting phrase, just as he was. There were also boats with him. We don't read of those anymore. And as is often the case, a windstorm, a furious squall, the NIV says. The storm of all storms occurs. If you're not familiar with the geographical region, there's this there's there's cliffs, there's it's actually in a valley. There's there's these hillsides all around. And when the cool air meets the hot air, and you have this windstorm. This is a windstorm of all windstorms. If you've ever been to West Texas, I'm from West Texas. Some of you have been to West Texas, and you know windstorm of all windstorms. I remember driving back from Lubbock to New Mexico one day and just thinking, it's as red as you can see forever. That's a windstorm of all windstorms. The same kind of thing happened. A windstorm happens, and notice their response. A furious squall, it says, came up. The waves were breaking over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. There was a storm 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. This speaks to his humanity, fully God. He'd been ministering for a long time, right? Right? He's fully God, he's fully man, and he's tired. And so he's asleep, he's exhausted. You've been there before. It also speaks to me about his peace, right? You know, when you're in the storm, when you have this stuff going on, when you have a diagnosis that... I mentioned to you, I have a friend that's in a storm right now who got the word that if they don't do anything with his big C cancer, that that storm will come to an end, if you know what I mean. He's going to pass in a year, is what the doctors say, if they don't do anything. If they do something for him, if they do immunotherapy, things of that sort, it may be 18 months. That's a storm. So how do you respond? How do you respond? Those people that can go to sleep, have the kind of peace that God is still God, right? That's the kind of faith I want. So it's not only Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully divine, knowing full well that God's in control. I'll show you what I'm talking about in just a second. Jesus was asleep on the cushion. The disciples who saw, remember, they saw all the miracles that Jesus had done, and yet they're deathly afraid now. They woke him and said to him, Rabbi, this is a crazy question. And maybe you've asked a crazy question of God before, especially in the middle of a storm, right? I know personally when I have a storm, I forget about all this other stuff. I'm just focused on the storm. When you have a storm, you forget about all this other stuff. You're just focused on the storm. And this crazy question, the disciples wake him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Have you ever, have you ever asked God that? Don't you care? You know what? He cares, or he wouldn't have ever come. You think about Genesis 3, church. I mean, think about the fall. God who is omniscient, God who knows everything, past, present, and future, when he creates, he knows what's going to happen, even in Genesis chapter 3, that we, not just Adam and Eve, mind you, that we are going to rebel and we're going to do our own thing. We are so selfish and to ask the question of God, do you care? It's an honest question, right? But I think it's a little bit, um, it's almost like a slap in the face to God. Of course God cares. Of course He cares about your storm. Of, of course He cares about your circumstance. Of course He cares about the brokenness in the world. Of course He cares about whatever you're going through, about whatever your neighbors and those people that you put on the cards last. Of course He knows who they are. Of course He cares. And yet our flesh is tempted to cry out and say, How long, O Lord? Don't you care? One of the things I shared with those in our Bible study this morning is from the James 1 text. You're all aware of it, I'm sure, where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Right? What, James? You're off your rocker. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The the word picture there is to throw a party. When's the last time you threw a party in the middle of a storm? You don't, right? Because you're not focused on what you should be focused on. You're focused on the here and now. You're focused on what, what caused Peter to begin to sink when he walking on the water. Anybody? You forget Jesus and you begin to look at the stuff around you. The last thing you want to do is throw a party, right? And that's what James tells us. Consider it pure joy, my brother, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That means there's going to be many storms. Because when you do, you're being made into the person that God wants you to be, right? Character. Hope, hope does not disappoint. All these things are making you who you're supposed to be. 
I find it strange that we read this text, and perhaps you've read it many, many times, and you glance over this question of, Lord, don't you care? But if you reflect on your own life, if you reflect on your own storms, you realize you've asked the same question, haven't you? Haven't you? Come on. Lord, don't you care? What's the news? All the garbage that's going on between, it doesn't matter if you're looking at national news or world news or whatever the case may be, Lord, don't you care? Lord, are you going to do, some, are you going to do something really quickly? Are you going to get us out of this mess? Don't you, don't you care? Jesus got up, it says, he rebuked the wind. I love that. Who can rebuke the wind? Only God, right? You talk about sovereignty. You talk about who's in control. And Jesus, not just the lame man, not just the blind man, not just the leper who's unclean, who's made clean, but even, even nature itself. He rebukes the wind. I love that. And he said to the waves, enough. Stop it. Quiet. Be still. And the wind does as it's told. The wind dies down, and it was completely calm. Don't you wish that God would show up in your storm like that and say, enough. Stop it. And the wind, or the garbage, or whatever it is that's in your life, the storm would die down. It would be completely calm. Don't you wish that would happen? When you put your trust in God, it happens. In His time. Not in my time. Not in your time, right? Some of you, we've been praying, Kevin, we've been praying for a long time about a storm. And I maintain in His time. I have a red letter edition before me and those three words, quiet, be still, are spoken by Jesus Himself. There's a certain peace about that. And then he redirects his attention from the storm, and he looks to the disciples, those who have seen him do what Jesus has done in the past. Healings? Yes. Exorcisms? Check. He's done that too. Even the demons? Even the demons. Healings on the Sabbath? Yeah, that caused a little bit of confrontation, but he did even healings on the Sabbath. Now even nature responds to God in the flesh. Now even nature does what Jesus says nature should do. I I mentioned to you there's several layers throughout this particular text, and if you're not aware of it, in the ancient Near East there was a myth that thought that all the chaos, all the chaos resisted in the water, or existed in the water. It it was, you ever heard the the term Leviathan? Anybody ever heard that? That comes from the Mediterranean. That comes from all, the reason that the Israelites didn't get along with the Philistines, the seafaring people, is because the seafaring people spent time on the water. And where does Leviathan come from? Where does chaos come from? From the water. Kind of interesting, right? But when Jesus says, quiet, be still, even the water, all the chaos stops. This, <laughs> this is a great text. It's really a word that we overuse from time to time. This is an awesome text. And then he looks at his disciples, and I don't, I'm not convinced that he does with chastisement. I don't think that Jesus is angry with them. But did you catch what he said? He says to his closest followers, you don't get it. Why are you so afraid? The reason, Caitlin, we pray for spiritual eyes to see The reason we church, we pray for spiritual ears to hear is the only reason we're going to see spiritually and the only way we're going to hear spiritually is if God reveals. And we have to be receptive to God's revelation. Amen? 
get the flesh oftentimes wins out. And so Jesus says, I think in a compassionate way, why are you so afraid? This is not the last storm you'll be in. It's not the first storm for sure. You, you've been on this lake before. You, you've, you've had some life experience. You've been through storms before. And guess what? This won't be your last storm. You've, you've been able to see all the miracles that Jesus has done, to include your own salvation, to include for the apostles, come follow me. I don't have anything to offer, Lord. I know you don't have anything to offer, but come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. That, that's the gospel, church. Despite who you are, God wants a relationship with you, and He's not going to stop at anything less than sending His own Son to come and make things right. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. And so He looks at us with compassion even after we've met Jesus, even after we're in the boat, even after we're on a journey with Jesus and our faith is still in this tug of war between flesh and spirit. And I'm convinced that Jesus looks at us with compassion and says, why are you so afraid? You know where fear comes from? The Bible is clear that fear doesn't come from God, does it? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Lord, I believe. Glenn, help my unbelief. You can't just hang out with Jesus. If you're step in step with Jesus, as we talked about this morning, God's going to do some amazing things that you'll be able to see. We, we talked about it last week with these God-appointed times. Those are God, listen to that, God-appointed times. They're not coincidence. When you pray about ministry opportunities and God answers those prayers, you mentioned one this morning. Do we recognize those as God-appointed times? I hope that we do. There are times that we can increase our faith. The apostles said, it says that they were terrified and they asked each other, there's no limits on God? No, there's no limits on God. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. What a great miracle, right? I want to offer a text to you. This is from Psalm 74. It's up here on your screen. Psalm 74, verses 12-14 through 14 or 12-17. through 17. I want you to hear what the psalmist says about the chaos in the world. But God is my King from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you, God, who split open the sea by your power. Remember what the sea represents? It was you, God, who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun. You put the sun in place. You put the moon in place. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both the summer in the winter. So how big is your God? I remember years ago reading a book, I think it was by a guy named Mark McCannon, who said, your God is too safe. You hear that? Your God is too safe. Now, Some of you have already made the connection with C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan shows up. Aslan is not safe, but he's good. You follow? Some of you are headed into a storm. How big is your God? Some of you have been in a storm for a long time. Do you believe what the psalmist says? That God can do what God can do, even in the middle of a storm? And some of you are on the backside of a storm that you simply need to rejoice and recognize that God can control even nature. Amen? If you've never experienced this kind of God, if you've never experienced 
the God of the Bible, if you've never experienced Jesus Christ, I pray today is the day of salvation. I'm not just talking about getting out of your comfort zone and being comfortable. That's not what Christianity is all about. Sometimes we're called to things that make us uncomfortable. But I'm praying that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, notice I didn't say religious, I didn't say a church attender, a church goer. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ who rose from the dead with. The same Jesus Christ that spoke to the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. The same Jesus Christ who fights for our souls by way of the Holy Spirit. That's the Jesus Christ I want you to know. That's the Jesus Christ I want to know. Amen? I'm going to pray. There's going to be a couple elders up here. If you have a decision to make, maybe it's a day of salvation. Maybe it's a day that you need to plant your roots here at Hillcrest Christian Church. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe it's a day that you can fully commit to what God would have us do. Let's pray. Father, for your word, I said it before and I'll say it again. What an amazing text. What an what a, what a awesome God we serve. A God who is not just for us, but a God who is for the entire world. Forgive us, God, when we make the gospel about us and not about others. Forgive us when we have this us versus them mentality. Forgive us when it's very exclusive to whatever we label it as. But help us to understand the gospel. Help us to understand um, you're in the business of restoration, of reconciliation, of redemption, of making things right, even the storms of life. God, I pray if there's someone here in this place that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know intimately, doesn't know Jesus, that today is the day of salvation. I pray for those of us who have been spiritually blind, that today would be the day that you give us spiritual sight and insight. I pray for those of us who have lived too much in the world, who need to remember what you've called us to. I pray that you would do a work in each of our lives, wherever we're at on our spiritual journey. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one who, diakosune, the one who is righteousness for us. In his name I pray. Amen.